The boy's gold and maroon cap disappears around the corner. Jack and I follow it and the squeak-squeak of his brogues as he turns down yet another dark, wood-panelled corridor. I'm trying my best to be more sure-footed. Anticipate the turns ahead, ones I should know are coming. This was once my old high school, and I must have been this way hundreds of times before. But either I've blocked my memories in the near twenty years since I last set foot inside this building, or everything about the place is as different as they say it is. I begin to wonder, if I was left alone here right now, whether I'd know how to get back out again. My sister-in-law tracks the fast-walking boy, oblivious to my queasy disorientation. You'll be walking miles tonight, Jack calls behind him, but the boy doesn't seem to register her attempt at light-heartedness as he comes to an abrupt stop in front of a set of double doors. This is the registration zone. Welcome again to the Wolf Academy. We hope tonight helps you find the most appropriate setting to educate your child. The boy can't be more than ten, but he sounds like a gentleman from the 1940s. He has what people say is the wolf polish. The boys and girls who go here emerge with the combination of manners and confidence, not to mention grades, they'd normally achieve only from attending some ancient public school, not a free school that's been open only a few years. He shakes my hand, then Jack's. Cheers, little man. You like it here, then? Jack asks, causing the boy to blink and look about him nervously. The Wolf is the top-performing school in the region. It strives to instil confidence and aspiration in every pupil. The boy pauses, then nods at the ceiling with his eyes wide open, before snapping them shut, as if he's trapping the words he needs to remember from somewhere above him. Attending this school is a privilege. Is that so? Jack sends raised eyebrows my way, the kind that says, Well, la-dee-da, then goes to peer through one of the door's small rectangular windows. Better get ourselves in there, then. I go to peek through the other window and fail to still the gasp in my throat. Now, at least, I know exactly where I am. It's the old school hall, double-height ceiling and more wood panelling, a large open space with nowhere to hide. My insides twist, my body now unable to deny that the worst years of my life happened within these walls. But that was then. This is the here and now, I tell myself. I'm not the same person the girls bullied here. I'm a mum. Married to the man I love, with a respectable job at the bank. I'm not who those girls said I was. Through the window, I can see in front of the hall stage, two empty chairs waiting behind a long desk. Jack pushes one of the double doors slightly ajar, and a waft of familiar odours hits me. Floor wax, snapped pencils, disinfectant. Whispers reach me from the freed air. Rotten, 
Rosie, rotten Rosie. I steady myself against the doorframe. You okay? Rose? I'm fine. I push the door on my side open and approach the deserted desk as confidently as I can manage. But the heels of my boots seem to make a terrible clatter, rupturing the silence. The hall's lights heat the crown of my head so intensely, it's as if a spotlight is tracking my every step. And while I realise the ridiculousness of this paranoia, something inside tells me not to turn around, in case someone does indeed have me in their sights. Old habits. Hello? I make myself speak, fearing Jack's about to shout something like, Come out, come out, wherever you are. But my voice is too quiet to be heard. Laughter from somewhere needles my ears. My stomach squirms. Memories I'm desperate not to disturb agitating closer to the surface. Me, alone, looking over my shoulder, then suddenly surrounded, stiff in the dead centre of a ring of my tormentors. Anybody there? Jack calls. Good evening. A very thin blonde woman emerges from another pair of double doors to the left of the stage. I breathe out, stealing a quick glimpse of the room behind her before the doors swing shut. I can see parents laughing loudly, people seeming to fizz with a confidence they wear so lightly they don't even realise they have it. The doors close with a swish. The blonde woman wears a white boiler suit and huge silver bracelets that clunk as she walks towards the desk without even giving us a glance. It's the first day of December and freezing, so I threw on my old three-quarter length puffer over my smartish black trousers and trusty, if faded, charcoal polo neck. But as the blonde woman turns her eyes to me, my coat suddenly feels like a twenty-tog duvet, shapeless and drab. I can sense a slight hesitation in her final step, as if she's not keen on coming forward to us. I send an on-duty smile to my face as the chair scrapes behind her and she sits, impatiently gesturing for me and Jack to do the same. You're thinking about applying to the Wolf Academy for your child? That's right. I'm almost whispering. The old instinct to remain unnoticed and therefore safe is so strong. I need to regroup and fast. The blonde woman hasn't even bothered to introduce herself. She doesn't look teacherly. Her clothes suggest high levels of disposable income. Are you part of the teaching staff? Says Jack, before I can shake my shyness and ask myself. Ginny Kirkbride, clerk to the Governor's, admissions and legal officer. I'm taken aback by a gust of what smells like distinctly alcohol-laden breath she releases as she speaks. Boy or girl? She asks no one in particular, eyes down on her tablet. My boy, Charlie, I tell her. He's four next August. 
Probably the youngest in his year, I'd imagine. Not a flicker on her face as she taps my responses into her tablet, while I berate myself for letting my worries over Charlie's age bubble into the open. And how did you hear about the wolf? I live over the road. We rent the flat above the natural food and wine shop. Ginny appears for a moment as if she has a nasty taste in her mouth. I can't help but want her to think well of me. I actually used to go here myself, only back when it was Amherst Middleton High School. So you might say, my son could be the second generation of O'Connells who've had the privilege of attending this school. A flash of a grimace on her face leaves me in no doubt she disagrees with this perspective. And you are? Ginny turns her chin and attention to Jack, who's been watching quietly with a patience I can sense thinning. I'm Charlie's auntie, Jack tells Ginny unsmilingly. Is the father not involved in his life? Ginny looks at me directly for the first time. Yes, my husband Pete, he's looking after Charlie as we speak. He doesn't want to be involved in finding the right school for his son. Of course he does. It's only that... I can't seem to remember why we agreed Jack would come with me tonight, not Pete. Whatever I say feels like it's going to damn him and me. In our family, we play to our strengths. Jack leans forward with a forgiving smile that isn't returned, while I try to pick the words that will put Ginny right about Pete. My husband has a very strong interest in his son's education, but Jack's studying for her degree at night school. Anthropology. I suppose it made sense to bring the most educated person in the family. My chest prickles with adrenaline, and while Ginny's eyes return to her tablet, Jack gives me a modest little nod. At least I've said the right thing in her eyes. And what is it you think your family might bring to our school community? I fluster. I don't know what the right answer is. I'm not even sure I understand the question. Is this code for something I should know about? The wolf is more than a school. Impatience ices her words. Where appropriate, we expect our families to contribute their skills and other resources to sustain the unique quality of academic and pastoral care our children enjoy. So, do you or anyone in your family have anything in particular you think might prove beneficial to the school and its governing and fundraising apparatus? Before I can answer, another woman enters the hall through a single door to the right. Behind it, I see a snapshot of more parents, but they don't seem anything like as shiny as the people on the other side of the hall. I spy a couple who look a bit like me and Pete. She's petite and pale, light brown hair, short and choppy. Her partner looks mixed white and African or Caribbean heritage. Not as gorgeous as Pete, but not bad looking either. The two of them stand very close to each other. As the second woman takes the seat opposite me, she too avoids looking at me directly. Perhaps she's embarrassed, because she can tell I've clocked the wolf puts all the posh parents in one lavish room and sends the rest 
to some kind of holding pen until it's time to go. Or perhaps my paranoia is getting out of control and she's simply tired after a long day, which she certainly looks like she's had. B, I was just asking this parent what she might be in a position to contribute to the wolf community. B's expression becomes even more weary. From a distance, she looked as sleek and moneyed as Ginny, but up close, I can see a dry inch of grey at her roots, and her blouse, a clearly expensive beige silk affair, is creased, a faint tea stain near the pocket detail. The only thing about her that's not dulled is a small brooch on her lapel, a thin golden circle glinting in the stage lights. I notice now that Ginny is wearing exactly the same gold circular pin. Well? Ginny snaps me back to the moment. My husband fits bathrooms for a living, and I'm just a bank cashier, I blurt out before I can think of any way I might frame our lives more impressively. You're not just anything. Jack looks at me, then back at Ginny. Rose is brilliant with numbers. And amazing with people. I should be thanking Jack for being in my corner, but what she's told Ginny makes my life sound so small. It already feels as though tonight couldn't be going much worse. I try to pull it round. I'm very confident I have skills that would be useful to the school community and its governing body. I clear my throat in the gaps between the words. I work at the bank over on the high street, but I'm actually a partly trained accountant. But, well, now, that's... that's another story. It's actually the story of my life. B's head shoots up at the word accountant. I go to fiddle with the bright red neck scarf that's part of my work uniform. Something I know I do when I'm nervous, but it's not there. Accountancy. Okay. At the bank, your responsibilities are? Ginny asks, while B's eyes zero in on me. Uh, well, I call up a line from my training. The key skills for any cashier are numeracy, accuracy, but above all, honesty, so... I try to catch Ginny's eye, but she's flicked her sight to the back of the hall, her eyes narrow, the tiniest shake of her head. 